Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Today we're talking about how leaders set the tone on culture, but may not be aware exactly how they're doing that. My name's Dominic Gawley, and I'm joined by Sean McCarthy. Hi, Dom. And Liana Sangster. Hi, Dom. So, Liana, how are leaders setting the tone on culture, and what might they not be aware of? Good question, Dom. High-level leaders essentially influence the culture of their business, both directly and indirectly. So you can influence how people behave in your business by how you role model, how you show up, how you communicate, but also the less aware way that leaders, or less conscious, if you like, way that leaders influence culture is in terms of the decisions that they make, the indirect ways. So the decisions we make around how we reward, remunerate, how we promote, and how we set up the structures and systems in our business and how that influences behaviours. So the role modelling is probably the most famous one, right? I think we've all read a lot of leadership books and been on courses and whatever that talks about how the leader shows up. So, Sean, what what are some of those ways that leaders are role modelling culture? Yeah, I mean, role modelling covers a variety of sins. Firstly is is, uh, how the leader reinforces performance and behaviour amongst people so that they tend to focus on what's going well or going what's going wrong. When somebody hands them a paper or a report, it's the first thing they do is indicate the spelling mistakes and all these kinds of things. So reinforcement systems part of the, the role modelling process, the influence part. So to what extent does the leader allow and encourage uh, their people to uh, have influence over them? So it's a very reciprocal kind of leadership process. How the leader talks about uh, what their goals and strategies are, so they talk about them in a very positive way or somewhat restrictive kind of manner. How they focus on remuneration systems, which is the most uh, obvious reward system in an organisation. So what gets a pay rise in this place? All these kinds of things. So I guess, you know, you see it play out all the time in in meetings or something with with the leader or with even your manager that their behaviour in the meeting actually can kind of cast a shadow potentially over other people's behaviours in that same meeting. A good way to think about it is the leader gives permission to others. So if the leader behaves in a very aggressive, assertive kind of manner, then that leader is in effect giving permission to the others to behave the same way. And so leaders very seldom, but they should always actually think about what is the impact on the people that I am leading if I go about doing something in that way. So think of it as giving permission. If you, if you create passivity and lack of uh, focus in a meeting, then why the hell should anybody get focused? If you behave in a very aggressive manner and argue, then they're either going to fold up tent and do nothing or they're going to act equally as aggressively. So the important thing is that the leader role models to use that very broad term, constructive behaviour. So you're giving people permission to be constructive. Mm. Just to build on that, Sean, one of the things I'm talking to leaders about when we look at their, I guess, the impact of their behaviour on the culture and the people around them is for them to be really mindful that there's a spotlight on them and whatever you do will become amplified. And so you have to be really conscious. In particular, if you're at a very senior level, you have perhaps less touch points with some individuals. And so that then narrows how much time you have to influence. So it sort of amplifies, if you like, the impact of what you're doing. So we just published a case study the other day on a gentleman called Stephen Bright. And so it was interesting in that case study. So he had reflected on his behaviors before and he knew that he was personally on the passive side 
but he had kind of been okay with that. But what really hit home to him was when he looked at how he was impacting other people and he realized that actually he was having this passive impact on those around him. And even more to that point was the impact he was having on his son at home. And so he heard his son talking about, you know, may I, can I, is it possible if, but, you know, dot, dot, dot. And he realized, wow, you know, I guess he had just never considered how he had this broader impact on how others around him were behaving because he was the leader or in that case, the father. It's like a ripple effect. I mean, if you drop a rock on a lake, it sends out these ripples in every direction. So when a leader does things, it sends out ripples all across the way, whether it's at a personal level with family members or at work with uh, staff. And so if that's how people see the leader behave and therefore gives them permission or sends them messages about how they should through the role modelling, what are the other ways that leaders are probably less aware? How are they sending those messages? Sure, well, that's the indirect. So as Liana said, leaders have a direct and indirect impact on culture. And so we, we're very familiar with the direct. That's whether or not the manager behaves or leader functions in a certain ways or the strategies that they use to lead people, etc. But the indirect impact is the decisions they make about the organisation structure. So uh, by definition, the structure will define authority levels, delegation levels and involvement levels. The job design factors, so whether the job has high or low levels of autonomy, variety, significance, feedback, these kinds of things. So to what extent do I get to make decisions in my job or do I simply do the job as it's uh, very strongly prescribed? How we communicate, what we talk about as an organisation sends messages out to people of what's important. So if we keep talking about meeting the targets and uh, making the sales goals, then that's what people will focus on. If we talk about the need for people to behave together constructively, then that may well be what people will focus on. Uh, then there's all the HR systems, of course, like the, the reinforcement, the remuneration systems and the selection systems and, you know, who gets what job, why did they get that job? And, I mean, I can remember, got a very, very long time ago now, working with a bank where this, the selection system was so secretive the throwaway line quite literally used throughout the organisation by both males and females was, was who did he or she have to sleep with to get that job? So it was just so lacking in transparency. And of course, that's the way they thought it should be done. Open it up, make it transparent, change the culture. I actually have a really similar story where I was in an organisation and you know there were certain things we were supposed to do, ABC, and there was a guy who did none of those things, just refused to do them, and then suddenly got promoted kind of yeah. out of the blue and then... Yeah. Everyone was like, what the heck, you know, yeah. you're telling us one thing and then promoting another, so well, what What should I do? This is where the, the really need, every leader needs to just stop momentarily and think about what will people interpret from what I do. So mm. I'll give you a very uh, classic illustration. It's a government organisation. There was one regional director at very high level reported to the CEO who was an, a disaster, and everybody knew that he was a disaster. He'd been with the organisation for a very long time, significant pressure from a number of different avenues on the CEO to get rid of this guy. But the CEO was talking to me about how this person had particular information or knowledge or capability that was uh, world-class, and he didn't want to lose that knowledge and capability. So he came up with a bright idea, and that was to create a new role called Special Projects Director and appoint this person to that. So that solved his problem. It got him away from running the region, putting a new person in place, but still kept the knowledge. Now, herein lies the kicker, because uh, this chap was appointed to uh, Special Projects Director into an office on the executive's suite floor. So he's now two doors away from the CEO. Uh. And so the conclusion that everybody took from that instance was, oh, my God, they actually promoted this guy. You've got to be kidding me. 
Isn't that interesting? It's a, one of those things where you're in the intention, if you like, doesn't always land. Yeah. With people in your business. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting one. Like, the thing about leadership and culture, which kind of is a curious one for me, is one of the ways I think leaders can probably combat it is to be, first of all, understand how it works in terms of how does culture come about. And then every time you're making critical decisions for the business to think about what is the message this is going to send and how might this encourage behaviours in yep. the business. Yep. And that's the key. I mean, again, we should pause and define culture briefly. So culture is not necessarily how people behave, it's how people believe they are expected to behave. So culture is about behavioural norms and expectations. So these expectations and norms are created by the senior system senior members of the system, i.e. the leaders and managers. And so again, it's, as, as Liana says, it's if I do this, what message will people take from them? What expectation will that create? And the, generally leaders don't stop and think that, and they really need to learn to, and that's one of the keys to being constructive. The other, of course, is to understand that constructive isn't necessarily nice. Uh, it's a very right. common fallacy out there. We find that because we deal so often with passive defensive or aggressive defensive cultures, the opposite assumption is that a constructive is a very nice place to be, sort of summer camp type environment. In fact, all the evidence shows us that a constructive culture is the most demanding culture because there is an expectation that people will strive for excellence and there is an expectation that people will support one another and it's a hell of a lot easier to disagree with somebody than to find a way of agreeing with them. Mm. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting with the whole unintended consequences. I, I know Corinne, who is a podcast host as well, talks about the speaker on the wall. So when you're making decisions around the structure or around reward system, if there was a speaker on the wall that was the voice of the organization, what would it be telling people? You know, so if you're, I know from my past, there was a organization that the leadership team had deliberately set up conflicting KPIs between departments, right? And the belief was that the, in the tension, it would drive you know, innovative solutions or new thinking and so on. But of course, what kind of ended up happening was a pitch battle between departments and between countries and so on, because they couldn't both possibly win. Only, you know, one would have to basically sacrifice themselves for the others. And ultimately, that's kind of, you know, in an organization, we have to think of, okay, what's the overall objective, right? So what are we actually trying to achieve as an organization? But instead, the focus was on, as a sales team, as an operations team, you know, what are we trying to achieve and stuff the other guys? The example's a really good illustration of there's another aspect of culture that we haven't mentioned yet, and that is the underlying beliefs. And so what you're looking at there with your experience was, I guess, a management group that had a fundamental belief that if you create conflicting objectives, then it will increase performance. So it's also helpful as part of the process of looking at the impact that leaders have on culture is to actually get them to talk about what are their fundamental beliefs about how people should be led and their fundamental beliefs about what drives behavior. So if you have a conversation and they start talking about competitions, increased performance, well, then you know you're dealing with that set of beliefs, which is contrary to a constructive style. So how do you start addressing that? Because I think that's a really common one, particularly competition, right, and sales organizations and so on. How can you start addressing that with a leadership team or a leader as an individual? Let me start with a quote. It's a very simple quote. To change something first, you must understand it. I can't remember who said it. But first, to un- to change something, you have to first understand it. So 
should spend some time attempting to understand what the culture is. And that's, of course, why we do cultural surveys. Because once you can understand it, you can understand the impact of it, then you can start to look at, well, what impact do we want instead? And therefore, what do we need to change to create that impact? And very few organizations, I mean, if you talk to an executive group and you say, describe the culture of the organization, firstly, they'll probably struggle to start, but then they'll mm. come out with sort of trite statements like, you know, a culture of accountability or something like that. And that's absolutely and utterly meaningless. But it's true, right? I think yeah. lots of organizations make all these kinds of statements and, and people mistake I think, stated values. So every organization, we've all kind of realized, oh, we're all supposed to have values. So we'll make up a list. And then you ask, what's your culture? And well, it's on our wall. Just just read it. And there's a big difference between what you have on your wall and what you're living with day to day. And I think, look, I think it's fine that organizations have aspirational values, perhaps. It, It may not be what we're living right now, but that's what we aspire to. But I think people need to be clear on that distinction between well, what's actually lived day to day and face the reality of what's happening day to day and where we want to go are two different things. You often find when you start working with businesses that there's not a language to describe mm. what is actually going on here and why am I being encouraged to behave the way that I am. I, I can even reflect on a personal experience of a company I worked with. First job out of uni, came in with all these exciting ideas and things that I wanted to to do with life, but found myself in a culture where ideas weren't really encouraged. And Mm. so I found myself jostling with a culture that was very conventional, very perfectionistic, resistant to new ideas. But it wasn't until someone shone a light on why that behavior was so apparent that you could start to understand that you could behave differently. And so I think helping people to articulate what it is that's going on is, is really helpful if you're looking at changing. And also there's peace around We've got to get clear around alignment of what we're trying to achieve here because I think that people all want to achieve. They join a business because they're excited by the mission, the vision, they're aligned to it. But somehow when they get involved, they get tugged in different directions. And so you need alignment collectively, but you also need a language on, on why we're behaving the way we do and what, and what do we want to be doing differently. And just to pick up on Dominic's point about values, my advice consistently over the years to organisations is try not to refer them to them as our values refer to them as our desired values. As soon as you start mm. to say one of our values is, you probably guarantee that 90% of the people in the organisation will say that that's absolute bullshit. It's so true. They're espoused values, I've yep. heard people say. Yep. They're espoused, they're not real. Yep. Mm. And they are espoused. So there's something we're striving to achieve. Mm. We may have achieved one or two of them already, but we probably haven't achieved all five or six or whatever. So if we've got the leadership team, so I guess it's them keeping in mind they've got to name it to tame it. So no, okay, what is actually our current culture and where do we want to yeah. go and being clear on that. So if, I, if I'm aware of that, how can I start moving the dial? What should I be thinking as a leader? What are the things I should really be aware of? Well, the first thing would be your direct sphere of influence. So although we talk about organizational cultures, of course, any organizational culture is a collection of organizational subcultures. So if you've got four people reporting to you as a leading hand or a hundred people reporting to you as a divisional manager or whatever is not relevant. What is relevant is that you can influence that part of the organization. So to think about how you currently influence, to get some feedback from people, whether it's a tool or simply asking people, how do you impact them? What sort of culture are you creating in your little corner of the world? And how can I, what can I do differently to achieve some of those espoused values. So if one of our values is perhaps something like excellence or integrity, what am I doing to uh, reinforce that? And, and again, a hundred times in my career, I've 
had organisations answer the question, do you have a set of core values? The answer is yes. And then I ask them to name them. They get to about number two or three and they're really struggling to remember them. So I mean, if you can't remember them, you don't really know them. If you don't know them, you don't mean them. If you don't mean them, it's a, largely a waste of time. So, you know, I guess as a leader, I've, I know where I should be going and so on. It can be tough to, I guess, be aware of how, you know, you're in the spotlight and you're always, people are always watching you and always watching your decisions. I mean, are there any kind of rules of thumb that can that can help leaders in these things? Because it can seem overwhelming, I guess, you know, ooh, everything. <laughs> it's tough at the top. Yeah. Just in this conversation, I'm, I'm reflecting on a, a client that I have been working with recently who, in his role as managing director of a team, has inherited, if you like, a culture. So there's a legacy uh, there that uh, he's inherited and he can identify what's going on and how he doesn't know how he needs to shift it, but he can see the behaviours that he'd like to shift. And so what I noticed in the interaction with this leader and his you know, 25 leaders, top 25 leaders, is that he's seeing uh, passive behaviours, but his propensity for action and for delivery is so strong that he'll fill the void when there is one. So when he I'll give you an example. He delivers the message, I want to hear back from you. I want to, I want to hear your views. I want you to challenge. But what he's getting is people not getting involved in that. And instead of creating a space where people can, he's filling the void. So in his delivery, he's going, this is the direction. This is where we're heading. Decision's been made. And now tell me what you think. And in It's the, too late. It's too late. Yeah. So in this scenario... There was some raising awareness for this particular leader to realise that if he was going to start to shift some of that passive behaviour, he needed to involve those individuals earlier in the decision making so that they felt that they were included. And so in that particular instance, I guess, to answer your question, every leader is different, every situation is different, but to combat some of that passive behaviour, that leader needed to be really conscious about how he was involving people in decision making in order to bring them forward more. And that's tough because it's easy to fall into the culture like that because this leader was an outsider, right, newly appointed, and so came into a passive culture. And, and there's that void of people yep. don't want to step forward and don't want to make decisions. It's so and tempting to it, step in exactly. and then make the decision. And so in that decision, that's exactly what would happen. He would then swoop in and make. And so that was a reinforcement of the behavior. And so it's difficult to kind of move yourself away from that. Well, I mean, that's a, actually a really, really good example of uh, how we might be leading in a way that we think is constructive, but it's not quite so. I mean, it's not not constructive. Mm. But, I mean, every leader in every meeting has an inordinate amount of influence in the group. It's just the way the state of systems work. And I, unfortunately, I know this as being a leader in my own business. And so I've had to use expressions like I'm usually more certain than I am right because I am often very certain about what needs to be done, but I've got to remind myself and everybody else in the room that it's not necessarily right. But this is, this is a really good example of where a manager is attempting to reduce the passivity in the culture and is doing what they think are some very good things, and they probably are, but there's actually a need for a tweak, and the example here is bring the involvement in earlier in the process to get more involvement at the later end of the process. Mm. I think it worked very well. Mm. Fantastic example, and I think that really just brings it home and makes it real. Great discussion, guys. I think some of my takeaways from this discussion was around really leaders have to understand what culture is yep. first. So you've got to name it to tame it, and they've got to know, okay, how are they having an impact on it both directly? So we often talk about the, the role modeling type stuff, what behaviors are 
you displaying, but also how they impact culture through the decisions they make, how they structure the organization, what they reward, how they design jobs, all of this kind of stuff. I guess it's asking them asking themselves, okay, what message are we sending when we do whatever decision? What do people hear about how they're expected to behave given that decision? So really interesting. Another one was around asking for feedback. So do leaders actually get the feedback about how people see them behave and how people feel they have to behave to fit in with that leader? So if I've got a leader who's aggressive, do I have to also be that way? If you're a leader, just a very simple suggestion around that feedback is the old stop, start, go kind of thing. Is to simply ask your people what are the things that you think they think you do well and should keep doing? What are some of the things that you do too much of and what are the things you don't do enough? And have a look at what that feedback's telling you. Fantastic. I think that's a great spot to end it on. Thanks for your time to get today, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Tom.